Hey y'all, I'm Savannah Reed. And I'm Kristen Reed. And welcome to Sister Talks! Today, we are interviewing our big sister Allison on her reading book. Because, well, why not? Unfortunately, though, I have to leave early. But for now, I'm here. Welcome, Allison. Thank you, Savannah. So, what book did you read? I read The Last of Mohicans, A Narrative of 1757 by James Finmore Cooper. This book is set somewhere around the Ohio River Valley area to the New York State area, and it's set in 1757. This book was actually placed in the third year of the French and Indian War, but it was actually published in 1826. Cool, so what's it about? A very brief summary of this book is that it starts out with two sisters, Cora and Alice, and they're going to try to see their father at some fort that he is, because he's Monroe, um, colonial general lieutenant guy. And so they're going to be guided by Hayward, a soldier who's going to help guide them to their father. And they're going to have a Indian guide, which was going to be Magua. And he was going to guide them, but then found out when they ran into another guy named Hawkeye, found out he was leaning the wrong way. Before that, though, they ended up meeting some guy named Gamut, who he was a Christianary singer. He would sing religious songs. And so but going back once they met Hawkeye, Hawkeye told them how they were going the wrong direction and told got them to ditch um, Magua, met up with Hawkeye's friends, and they went to go to the um to the fort but they got captured by magua's people um they escaped and then got to the fort then cora and alice got captured but then magua kept on wanting to convince cora to marry him and during all of this um hayward was falling in love with alice and alice was falling in love with him and there was um references about uncas and cora were falling in love and going on and you know during uh, when they were captured at the fort the fort was actually being burned and destroyed there was a massacre people were getting killed and it goes on in the end though um this was it was kind of romeo and juliet uncas and alice were both killed alice was killed and because of her death uncas fought for her revenge and he went to kill her killer but the killer killed him and this ended up making um hawkeye very mad because hawkeye was a very good shot when it came to shooting with a gun so he then um killed unka's killer which happened to be magua so magua didn't end up in the end and the whole like him wanting to marry alice but then unka's not wanting that because Alice didn't want all that drama. It was the kind of like Shakespearean, you know, drama and the all that dramatic stuff going on. Oh, well that sounds really boring. Kristen, that's rude. Anyways, it's time for you to get ready for soccer practice. Okay, well guys, I'm so sorry, but I have to go, but my big sister will take care of you. Bye guys. Okay, finally. Now, back to Shakespeare. I looked through the review on your book, and I want to know, 
Why does all the chapters in this book start with a quote from Shakespeare? Well, these quotes that start each chapter are not just quotes. They're actually called epigraphs. And the quotes that these epigraphs are, well, they're not just by Shakespeare. In this book, there's also some by other authors from before um, Cooper's time. And some of these consist of Shakespeare, Sir Walter Scott, Lord Byron, and other well-known authors from this time. Oh, but what is this epigraph? And if this novel is set in America, then why are there so many of these epigraphs by Europeans? Well, an epigraph is a short quote or saying that is intended to suggest the theme or basic summary of the chapter. And going back on the second question, well, during this time period, there was not a lot of American authors. And this had to do with the fact that there had not been a lot of people in America. Because the author wrote this right after, not well, not far after the American Revolution. So this is kind of one of the things where there were not a lot of people for him to base his epigraphs off of. So he used older European authors. So yes, all these authors are well dead before he writes and uses their epigraphs but that's because that's what he has to use in his story so the author used this to suggest the themes of the chapters yes kind of it was more of to summarize the chapter than it was to show the theme example of this is in chapter four and it's from midsummer night's dream and it says well go thy way thou shalt not from this grove till i torment thee for this injury this is on page 39 of the Amazon version. So, in this chapter, the group with Nucora, Alice, Hawkeye, um, sorry, Hayward, met Hawkeye. And before they met Hawkeye, they were being guided by Magua to um, Monroe's camp. The thing is, though, is that Magua was actually guiding them the wrong direction and Hawkeye noticed this and he thought that this was kind of weird because Magua was an, was an Indian and he should have known the land. He should have understood that he was going the wrong direction and this was a red flag. So Hawkeye thought this weird kind of talked to Hayward and gained Hayward's trust and so they worked together and they scared off Magua and as they were scaring him off, Magua was running off, and Hawkeye shot Magua and injured him. This is important because in the uh, epigraph, it says, Till I torment thee for this injury. Well, Hayward and Hawkeye scared off Magua. And when Hawkeye shot Magua, he gave him an injury. And as he was running off and going his separate way, he was going with the injury. He had that injury as a reminder, and he had that, he was scared off. And it was also kind of important because Hawkeye wanted to even kill Magua. Because Hawkeye was like an adopted Native American, you know, the Indian. And so his thought in his mind was, kill, I'm going to kill him. But Hayward thought it was important to not kill. And so he just let him go with an injury. And this is important because later on, it does go on and lead to the deaths of 
of Hawkeye's adopted brother, Uncas, and the um, the sister of Hayward's lover. So it's it, it is important, and it goes on. It it gave the warning of what's going to happen in the chapter. It kind of gave an outline, a summary of what happens. They scare off Magua, the guide, and leaves him with an injury. So that was important. And in, I do have one more example of an epigraph before you say anything. Um, it's on chapter 17, and it's from Gray. And it says, Weave, weave the woof. The, the thread is spun, the web is wove. The work is done. And so it's on page 211 of the Amazon version. And so it goes on. In this chapter, Montcalm makes a treaty with Monroe. And it was going underway. The agreement was that um, Monroe was going to peacefully surrender their encampment. And Montcalm was going to take it over. And after everyone had left, they were going to, he's going to burn it down and destroy it. But no one's going to get hurt. They're going to let them take their belongings. It's going to be very peaceful between the French and the British. But the thing was is that Monroe had been tricked. Montcalm was actually discussing with the native, his um, Indian, you know, friends, which was actually being led by Magua, who was mad at Monroe because Monroe had had him whipped like a year or two ago, and so he was trying to seek revenge for that. And so, so um, with Montcalm's consent, Magua and his Indian friends had surrounded the encampment so when Monroe and his people were leaving they were surrounded and attacked and this led to stoning of women and children there's a baby that was stoned and it you know went really crazy and this was a Fort William attack um, Fort William Henry attack massacre and I'll discuss this a little bit more later but um Bouvier says, weave we the wolf, the thread is spun the web, is wove, the work is done. It is like a warning, as it says, like how the plan is woven together and it's getting started. The plan of how the tree, you know, the tree had been made, they agreed on it, and then yet they were being tricked. They had, you know, the Indians were surrounding them. The, the plan had been put together, the it was being woven together. The plan had been put into action and then it was completed. It was executed. And that's really what it's trying to say. And it kind of gives a summary. In this case, it does give the theme. The theme is that the plan is being put into action and executed. And so this is kind of what the epigraphs do. Oh, I get why the quotes start off the chapters. But I'm also curious about the Romeo and Juliet thing you mentioned earlier. And all of that love and drama stuff. Why did the author write it like this? And why is this book so dramatic? Well, the author wrote the whole Romeo and Juliet thing to gain the audience and the reader's attention. So I know earlier I had mentioned how Alice and Hayward wanted to be together. And this was the whole, you know... That their love affair, but then the thing is, is that Alice's dad, Monroe, wanted Alice to not be with Hayward, and Hayward to be with her sister, Cora, instead, and thought that 
Hayward didn't want to be with Cora because Cora was mother was part black and that so that means Cora's really mixed and he thought the whole race thing was the reason why but really Hayward just loved Alice more and then there was a whole thing going on where supposedly Cora and Uncas had a secret love for each other and then when when Cora was murdered then Uncas wanted to seek after her her death and, and then he got murdered and then this led the whole Romeo and Juliet kind of feel where because one got murdered the other one or that one got killed the other one got shot and got killed because of that and kind of like the whole love after death because then the Indians believed that afterwards that because they were killed around so close to each other they were married in the afterlife and the whole like love after death kind of with Romeo and Juliet and all of that so the whole point, purpose of this was to get gain the audience's atten- readers attention so the author did this just to help hook the readers into to continue reading his story it seems like the author has made some interesting choices. With this in mind, the author had a unique writing style for his time period, correct? Yes, he did. He actually wrote one of the first adventure romance novels for ever. This has to do with the fact that he wanted to have the thrill of an adventure story with the pleasure and the love and the tragedy of a romance novel. And this allowed to have readers and audience from a wider range, so then more people could enjoy a story and read it. Oh, oh, one last thing. I also noticed that this novel is run in both English and French. Why would the author do this? Well, the reason why Cooper would do this is to help show you know, what this is really about to him. So he was, he grew up in a rich family and he went to some, a very expensive school, Yale, for three years. And so this, you know, because he was at upper class, he did have the ability to learn multiple languages. And to this day, it's still one of the things people think, oh, upper class, everyone knows two language and languages and it's always like English and French. That's just something that people commonly think of. Also, during, especially the French and Indian War, you'd think, hey, you know, these people here would be speaking English and French. And so it kind of gives, like, this perspective, hey, they really did speak English and French. And because we know that the author grew up in the upper class, it's also kind of assumed that he would believe his readers may also be upper class and that they would also know English and French. So, because of this, I could come under the idea that he was intending for this to be more for the upper class and lower class. While that may not necessarily be true, that is a possibility, and which is why he would use French and English in it. An example of where he did actually use French and English is on chapter 17, page 212 of the Amazon version of the book, and it says, Cestbien returned the centennial, throwing the, his musket from charge to his shoulder. Thus promenez bien Latin, Monsieur. Now, I do take Spanish and not French, so pardon my French, but um, that kind of tra- roughly translated, I use a Google, this is not 
100% accurate, but it says, it's good. You walk good morning, sir. So, it's like something about saying how it's good and something about in the morning. Hello. So, while I know that's not perfect, it kind of gives an idea. Yes, they did use French and English, and I most likely have a feeling that this translation was just not a good translation and it did have like a true meaning but it kind of does kind of say hey this is truly what it was like and it gives makes the experience a little bit more realistic and makes the readers feel like they're actually there because they are actually speaking french it's also so that's kind of what the author is doing he was trying to give that more of a real experience probably also assuming that his readers could speak french as well um for me though because i'm not french i don't learn french i'm learning spanish well i understand like a few words for the most part i have no clue what it is and it's just annoying so i have to translate so i have an idea so it does make this this um novel a little bit more difficult to read and comprehend on that note but he did have a real intention for it so it makes sense for him okay I think I finally understand the author's reasoning behind some of his decisions. You know what that means. History time! So, first off, you mentioned that Chingaguk and Uncas were the last of the Mohicans. But were they really the last of the Mohicans? No, they weren't. Because the Mohicans were made up. James Cooper... James Finmore Cooper made them up. Most likely, though, scientists believe that, well, historians believe that it was a combination of the Mohegans and the Mahegans, Hegans tribes, and this is tribes that are still in existence today. But the Mohegan tribe never existed. This means that Chingakuk and Uncas are made up and were never really alive. If they're made up, are there any characters in this novel real? Well, none of the protagonists like Chingakuk, Ungas, Hawkeye, Duncan Hayward, David Gamut, Cora Monroe, and Alice Monroe, or the antagonist like Magua, really existed. There are some characters who did exist in the story, and some of these were Lieutenant Colonel George Monroe, General Daniel Webb, General Marquis de Montcalm, and Tamamond, who was an Indian. Um, these All these people did exist, and a lot of the events they were in did exist as well. And so, what an example of this would be this siege of Fort William Henry, which did lead to the massacre of Fort William Henry. And this is when, well, Montcalm did have trick Monroe with the whole um, Indian invasion thing that surrounded the camp. But, um, and that was one of the things that did happen, but Magua was not involved because he does not exist. Um, another thing was, that I know I didn't really mention this before, but there was General Daniel Webb. General Daniel Webb was from Fort Edward, which is not far from Fort William Henry, where Monroe was was in. Um, Monroe had requested Daniel Webb to help send people 
to support him and keep him from being taken over. But Webb denied this. And yes, he did exist. And Fort Edward existed. And he refused to send some of um, send aid for Monroe. And because of this, you know, this led to the whole massacre and women and children really were being stoned and killed and that that did happen but the drama between Alice and Cora and all that that did not happen if this is the case then Cora and Alice weren't Monroe's daughters no as far as I'm aware he actually had no children this means that Cora and Alice never existed because Monroe had no kids so everything that happened with Alice, Cora, the love and all that couldn't have existed. What about the love affairs and the racial acceptance? I mean, there did seem to be a bit of racial mixing. Just think about Cora, for example. This was all made up. This was made up for the drama. The author did believe in some of the racial acceptance, but for the most part, he People did believe him to be a racist, and this was one of the things that criticized in his work now, obviously, because that was not a big issue then. But it's one of those things where they believe that because Korra ended up with Uncas in the end, even though it was in the afterlife, instead of Hawkeye, Hayward, Gamma, or any other ones that were white, um, that he was being racist about it. And they think it's also because Hayward chose Alice for Cora, but again, Hayward did discuss how he was really, truly in love with Alice, and he didn't have feelings like that for Cora, and he had nothing against her, it just wasn't, it's just that he didn't love her, he loved Alice. And it, it does go on with how, to how some people I know believe that Hawkeye because he's an Indian and but he's not an Indian he was white and he like adopted the Native American ways and culture and he you know, they, again they're thinking oh that means you know this is racist and I don't truly believe this, this is true um this thing was is he did adopt the Indian culture but he fully embraced it and it's because he preferred the lifestyle, the hunting and stuff over the way the Europeans lived. And I don't think that's necessarily being racist or anything like that. And I think it does kind of show racial acceptance. But the thing is, is that the author did believe in it some. And that was one of the things that I had looked into. He you know, he did believe in it. It's just that he wasn't very strong about it. Kind of like I know people have mentioned about Hamilton. Hamilton believed in, you know, against slavery. Yeah, he was kind of for it, but he wasn't, like, diehard ending slavery. He, I mean, he wasn't exactly for it, but he wasn't completely opposed to it. And that's kind of the way that, um, Cooper was. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't, he didn't think that people should be left out because of their race, and that's kind of what he describes with Monroe and his feelings towards, you know, at Cora, but he wasn't exactly, you know, 
that's you know everyone should be accepted so that's kind of important does this novel have any historical significance actually it does um it shows some of the cultural differences and example this is chapter 10 hayward is talking to magua and hayward says he's gone escaped he is far beyond their reach and magua says when the white man dies he thinks he's a at peace but the red men know how to torture even the ghosts of their enemies where is his body let the huron see his scalp and then goes on um discuss a little more and then says he is not dead but escaped and that was um sorry that was hayward and um so this kind of shows the misconception of the definition of escaped and what it means while um Hayward knows it means that he actually left. The Native American Indians think that escape means like escaped life and moved on to the afterlife. And he escaped from being punished and immediately went, where's the scalp? Scalping was how they would show that, you know, someone was dead, show them the scalp, that means they're dead. And, you know, that was important to them. And it kind of shows the difference in their cultures. And it also shows that they recognize that the Europeans believe in heaven and while they don't, because they mentioned that, oh, you know, they think they're at peace, but they're really not. And so that's kind of how it shows the, the cultural significance. I would also like to go back and add that this is on page 113 of the Amazon version in the book. Oh, wow. I wouldn't have thought of that. Okay. Well, that's all the time we have for history. So now let's move on to literary elements. So what type of literary elements or rhetorical devices are common in this novel? In this novel, illusions and symbolism are both quite common. This is because it ref- the illusions and symbolisms will go back to the Native American or Indian um, origin stories and their gods and goddesses, other stuff that was not common during the European literature areas because they did not know of the Native American stuff because they had never met them. Do you have any definitions of illusions and symbolism? Well, an illusion is something that refers to something else. Like, uh, a lot of times there'll be stories and novels that will refer to the Bible, but does not flat out say, hey guys, this is from the Bible. This is... Now, it may reference and say certain things that makes it very very clear that it was from the bible but it doesn't like quote it from the bible it's, it refers back to it and so um symbolism symbolism is something that it's something or a lot of times i know a rose or something it represent it will represent something else it represents more than just like a rose it'll represent like represent like love and it has more of a meaning and a significance than what you would think do you have any examples of illusion an example of illusion is chapter 30 this is on page 400 of the amazon version of the book and this is referring to uncas and it says his companions crowded about him in wonder and every eye was like his own fastened intently on the figure of a small tortoise beautifully tattooed on the breast of the prisoner in a bright blue tint and he said men of the lini lenape he said my race upholds the earth your feeble tribe stands on my shell 
this is an allusion to the Earth on the Turtle's Back, or the Earth on the Tortoise's Back origin story, which was acknowledged by the Lenape and the Iroquois tribes, and it symbolizes how the tortoise that brought up the Earth and represent, you know, everyone's really, like, on the tortoise's back, the Earth was placed on the tortoise's back, or turtle's back, and that's how the Earth formed, and that's what we're standing on today, and... So that's the, what he's referring to in his allusion to that origin story. It does not flat out say, you know, and he doesn't exactly tell the whole story. It just kind of references the story and how he is part of, he's like one of the descendants of the turtle. And the whole story is based on how, like, an, a goddess falls from the sky and how these water animals. Or they let's bring up the earth in the bottom, and then an animal did bring up the earth, and they didn't have a place to put it, so then they put it on the turtle's back, and that gave some place for the goddess to stand, and then she was able to go back up to heaven with the other gods and goddesses. That is interesting. I've never heard of that origin story. So, now, do you have any examples of symbolism? Symbolism is common, and a lot of it has to do with the Native American portion and Indian side. But another aspect I would like to point out is the clothes changes and identity changes that goes throughout the story. And one of the things I like to point out is um, example of this is on chapter 26. Gamut is seeing Hawkeye at dressed as a bear, and he says, The bear shook his shaggy sides. Then a well known voice replied, Put up the Teuton weapon and teach your throat modesty. Five words of plain and comprehensible English are worth just now an hour of squalling. This was said by Hawkeye. This is on page 345. And this is significant because it kind of shows how Hawkeye was dressed as a bear. And throughout the story, they will be Hawkeye was is an English-European who was dressed and acted as a Indian. And that's significant because that was not very common. And, you know, Gamut eventually wears the bear costume and, or, sorry, not Gamut, then Uncas wears a bear costume, and Gamut will dress up as um, Uncas. Before that, Gamut dressed up as a stupid person to help try to convince people that he was stupid and wasn't worth anything. Then, you know, Hayward um, kept on dressing up as a doc, your French doctor, and Chingakuk um, dressed up as a beaver, and all of this is identity changes as symbolism and represents the French and Indian War and how they did not know who was going to win the war. The identity of who they're going to be was unknown. So their identity would have to change based off of the outcome of this war. And this war was what this book was really about. So it shows the identity and uncertainty of the identity of what the Americas was going to be like because they don't they didn't know. So that was symbolism was very important in this. That is a very interesting take on all of the costumes and identity changes in this novel. Unfortunately, though, we have run out of time for today. Thank you, Allison, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Kristen would love to sign off, but since she is not here, this is Savannah Reed signing off. Thank you for joining us on Sister Talks, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.